How's everybody doing? There's a little screen. It's really good. So it's like, as Brett just told me in the bathroom, he said, it's not a gathering, it's a party. It's the way church should be a party. And we should wear a tuxedo t-shirt. Um, man, I, uh, I love that we're in Psalm 139. What a beautiful coincidence. Like, I don't think there is any. I think God just knows what he's doing better than we do. Um, but to have that passage be kind of flopped right, it was already planned, you know, seven or eight weeks in advance before we um, had inserted our uh, child dedications uh, into our planning schedule. And, and I, man, what an amazing, amazing thing uh, to have right at the, at the front end. You know, and as I was thinking about, you know, where this passage kind of takes us, I mean, my mind, I don't know why I thought about this, because I, I just thought about um, David writing this psalm, but I don't know, I just started thinking about Tom Hanks. Um, I don't know why, um, but specifically Castaway. Who's seen Castaway in here? Uh, for everybody else, I'm going to ruin it for you. Um, but uh, they, there's, there's a moment in which you realize that isolation is not good for humans. I mean, if you're watching, you know, you're watching them, it just gradually kind of takes place where he's engaging, you know, with the, trying to figure out how to survive. But one of the most important things that happens to him, does anybody know what happens to him that allows him to survive? Anybody? Wilson, Wilson, of course, Wilson. He was utterly alone and literally had to turn a volleyball into a person, you know, and of course, you know, on the back of it was Wilson, so he named it Wilson. And it, it made me think about the way that we are as humans, that we were created to be, and I, and I was thinking about today, like I've now, I've, I was looking at my watch, I was like, I got a limited amount of time, and somebody said something very wise to me, another pastor that became a counselor after 20 years of pastoring a church. I asked him the question, I was like, you know, when you're preaching and you got to, like, the, the time's out and you got to land the plane and you got to do so, he's like, I said, what do you, how do you do that? And he says, I, I don't try to plan that or figure that out. I think about what if I had 20 minutes with my children and my children don't know Jesus, they're lost, They've, they're prodigals. If I had 20 or 30 minutes to tell them and then that was going to be the last time I spoke to them, what, what would I say to them? What would I express to them? So as I thought about looking at Psalm 139, I think about what we need as human beings and how God leads us home. I really thought about, okay, what would I say to my kids? And, I, and, and there's really only three things that I, I wanted to align our hearts around is that, that God sees you, that he knows you, and then he loves you. I mean, when you read Psalm 139, all of those things are woven in and out through this passage. And for our human existence, what we need, what we need as human beings, think about, I was thinking about how prominent it is, but it never really goes away when you enter into middle school. Like the, the I remember being, being a middle schooler. I mean, you don't forget because those are like, high school, I had an amazing time. It was great. Middle school can be a little rougher. I mean, it just can be, you can go through the, the bullying thing, which is a very serious deal. We know that just even in recent history, just how hard it is. The idea of being isolated even when you're in a room full of people in a cafeteria. And when you're, you know, I just remember being dropped off, you know, by my mom. Hope, you know, and you, as a kid, it's like you're wondering as a parent, why do they want to, they're, they're very specific. Like, hey, can you go this far, but don't go this far? Because if you go this far, I mean, we drive a bucket and you can't drive that bucket up into the loop because that's, you know, don't wave to me too long. Don't blow kisses. I mean, there's like rules 
when you're in middle school when you get dropped off. And you just, that, that's just the way that it is. And, it's, and then it's like, where do you go? I remember when I was in middle school, it was like, there was a breeze, like we, I grew up in Tallahassee and it was hilly and the high school was way down here, it's private school. Middle school was way up here. And there was, it was like you had to be there for another 20 minutes before the bell rang, usually when I got dropped off. So those 20 minutes, do you remember what those 20 minutes were like? Like you walked up just hoping that one, that friend that you got is around because you didn't want it. Nowadays, it's like, you get to flip through a, you know, you get to, if you're alone, you can put your ear pods in and look at your thing. Like, I got people, man. I'm snapping over here. You know, that's, you was roll, you just rolling up going, I got no things to do, you know, and no people. I mean, you just really were exposed, you know, and I just remember rolling up and it was just, you were, you're, you're dying to have what? A group. You're, you want to belong. You want to be known. You want to feel worthiness. You want to feel value. And being in a group, being a part of something makes you feel value. It's interesting. If you look at, I mean, who, who understands or knows the Enneagram in here? Anybody? Any Enneagrammers? Okay, there's some of you. For the rest of you, it's personality profile test that a lot of people know about. There's nine different personality types. Uh, when you get back from Mars, you'll find out about it. Um, I'm kidding. A lot of people know about the Enneagram and the personality types, and they're very different. And then there's some crossing boundaries of, you know, a one can be a little bit like a nine, a, you know, a three can be a little bit like a two, or maybe a three is like a four. I mean, you have different personalities that go, and different ones are, some are, you know, achievers, some are, you know, the, the loyalists. You've got just different, different ones. But I read an article recently that said there was one common thread throughout all the Enneagram personality types. Like, they all have it. And it's a particular type of fear, like fear, and, and it's all related to insecurity. I mean, I'll just read some of them. Like type one, um, their fear is imperfection. They're, 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 they're worried about being imperfect. Fear of being accused, misinterpreted, corrected, or blamed, not meeting expectations. Type ones are usually very type A personalities, ones that get, they're very efficient, they get things done, they have things that are this way, they look at the way that other people do them and they're like, I don't really understand why you would do it that way because my way is perfect. Um, and then they're, they're worried about ever making a mistake. But there's insecurity, it's based on what people think. Is this gonna make me feel loved, accepted? Am I gonna feel good about myself in this particular situation and scenario? Type, foo, uh, type twos, or have a more raw emotional type of fear when it comes to insecurity. Their underlying fear is just simply being unloved and unwanted by others, right? And somebody's there's a, there's a two there's a two in the house. Got the t-shirt, um, and they they often believe the lie that they aren't good enough, and they often have to 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 change who they are to be the chameleon in the room to make sure that people like them, make sure that people love them. And it goes on. The type three, their underlying fear is not being valued. They, they, they fear underachieving, being unproductive, and deep down, they just want value. The lie that they tell themselves is how to get people to love you, and the fear is anything that causes them to feel worthless. I'm a three. I, I, I understand that, like humiliation, anything that makes you feel worthless. Walking into certain rooms where you feel less than all the other people in the room, and it goes on and it goes on, but it's this underlying thread of insecurity. And as you look at Psalm 139 and you look what, all, what we all need, and here's the, here's the reality as parents and as humans in general, there's something that we need that, yes, human beings can be a part of the story of 
doing that for us because we're, none of us are, are supposed to be alone. But we are, as sinful human beings, we're going to leave massive gaps. As parents, you're going to leave a massive gap in terms of seeing your child, knowing your child, and loving your child. Your child being completely secure. Your child is going to one day leave. You have a, a limited window. They are going to get dropped off at the middle school, and they are going to go into the war zone of insecurity, wondering what's their group. Are they with the athletes? Are we, they with the, the kids that are honor students? Are we the, they, the, with the kids that wear, you know, strange clothes, a cape? I don't know. Kids that do strange things at school. Which group are you in? And you've got all the different things that you do as a parent and as human beings, but there's always going to be massive gaps. And they're, they're going to leave us in this place. Why Medication is prescribed at a record high for fear and anxiety. And a lot of that deep down in the rooted level spot is this insecurity. And the world is trying to figure out how is it possible that we can be secure? How is it possible that I can actually walk around with knowing and understanding that I'm approved of, that I'm loved, that I'm seen, that I'm known, that I'm cared for, that I'm valued, that I'm worthy? In a world where there's all these fractured people that let you down, that can't fully fulfill you. And we're always looking, no matter what you do, it doesn't matter how rich you get, you can reach for it as much as you can. If, you're not a, if you don't believe in Jesus today and you've walked in here, the one argument that we wouldn't even have, that you would, you would agree with, you'd say, look, if you left here and all of a sudden you became extremely famous, you had all the money in the world, you would agree because of what we've seen in the past, maybe you've walked through it or you've seen the world walk through it, it's not going to fulfill you. It won't fill in those places of insecurity. There's nothing that will do it. There is only one thing. It's why Ecclesiastes says eternity is set in the hearts of men and women. We don't know what it is. How do we fill this gap? And there's one answer to that question. And it's Jesus and only Jesus. It is God in heaven himself who we've been separated from because of our sin. So as we dig in and we look at this, the first thing that we see in this passage, pretty, pretty, pretty straight away, is that God sees you, that he sees you. Wherever you go, wherever you roam, however far you go, wherever you, you end up, we need to be seen. I mean, there's a reality for you and me. We know it just because of the way that we are in our personalities that, that, we, that we need to be seen. And what I, what I mean by that is that it's not, it's, there's, there's a deeper intimacy, but just seen. Like, I just want people to, to see me as a kid. You, you want that. I mean, moms, you know this is the irritating thing. Look at me. We've talked about this. Like, look at me. Look at me. Hey, mom, look at me. Mom, 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 mom. Look at me, mom. Look at me, mom. Look at me, mom. Look at me, mom. Look at me. Look at me, mom. Look at me, mom. It just keeps going and going and going. And you're like, ah, you know. But you did it. I still do. I'm 50, and I still want to be seen. Maybe this is a, just a, a raw moment. I was surfing the other day, and it was really, it's kind of good. It was like, wasn't like super huge, because I'm getting older, and super huge surf kind of, you know, makes me nervous. Um, did I say that out loud? I shouldn't say that. Man card, gone. Um, but like, I, I was, it was like a chest high day, really fun. It was like Disney rides. It, it, it was easy. It was a great day to learn, and it makes people that surf okay feel like they know what they're doing. Like, it's one of those days you're like, man, I'm actually pretty good at this thing. 
And I was surfing, and I caught a really long wave, like just a left, it was, which is, I'm, you know, I'm goofy foot. I was just cruising up, down, you know, big sweeping bottom turn, top turn. I'm like, am I really doing this? Like, I'm like, I am actually, did something just happen? I'm really good. And then I finished the wave, and then you get what version of a barrel you get in Jacksonville, a little splash over the head, and then got around the other side. And of course I look, I get done, I'm looking to the shore like, woohoo! Like, I hope somebody saw that. Like, did anybody, did y'all, did y'all see that? Like, that was, did you see what happened? You know, maybe it's on the report. I'm going to look at that later, see what happened. It never really goes away, our desire to be seen. And, and it actually is wired in, in us. I mean, from a psychological standpoint, it's called, for children, it's called attunement. There's this thing that happens. You know, there's a video you can look up. It's pretty amazing where... Uh, a child and uh, a mother will be engaged and the mother's fully engaged, expression and everything with the child and going through the hole and the child's like pointing and going, looking and showing mom and mom's watching. Oh yeah, I see what you're pointing at. I'm talking about six, eight months and the, and the kid's just totally just into it, wanting mom's attention, wanting mom to react and mom's just in it and doing the whole thing and the baby's just making faces and She's making the same face, and she's doing this, and the baby's doing this. The baby's tr- trying to get the mom to, to engage in that way, non, all nonverbals. And then they do an experiment and tell the mom to go stoic and see what happens. And, and they do it all on video, and it's incredible. The mom just goes, and the baby does the same thing. She's trying to get the attention, do the little dance, and pointing at stuff. And then eventually, the, 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 the baby just loses its mind, cries is desperate, starts un- being like uncontrolled, can't control its body movements, just so desperate for the mom's attention. You could see them, it was a real mom, real baby, and she, the mom's, you could see the mom's heart, you know, just breaking while the doctor's over here going, taking notes at the, this, I'm torturing my child. And then she gets back and engaged with the child and it starts, it's, it's, it's called attunement. It's this idea of being seen. And we desperately need it. Without getting it, 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 it causes, causes fractures. And the reality for you and for me is that many of us don't get it. It's interesting. Uh, Dr. Dan Siegel says this. says, when we attune with others, we allow our own internal state to shift. So this, is, this can be adult on adult, adult to child. Um, the, our own eternal state shifts to come to resonate with the inner world of another. Right? This resonation is at the heart of the important sense of feeling felt that emerges in close relationships. Children need attunement to feel secure and to develop well. And throughout our lives, we need attunement to feel close and connected. Attunement might look like an adult seeing a baby crying, recognizing that baby is hungry, and then picking the baby, um, picking the baby up to feed her. In an adult relationship, attunement might be an adult who knows that saying, I'm fine, doesn't actually mean that, and digs a little deeper to find out what's going on. It's attunement. It's, it's what we need as human beings. It's part of how we're seen. But what's amazing is that God sees us. And you read in this passage, just look at verse 2. It says, you know when I sit down, you know when I rise. You, you Listen, you perceive, not just see me, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. I mean, God doesn't just look at you. He sees you. He perceives you. He's familiar with your ways and needs. He's, he's, he's seeing you is not separated from his perception of you. 
And he fills in, not, not only he overwhelms the gaps that we, that we engage in with one another because he sees us. When I read this psalm, it's not just about being amazed by how amazing and how big God is because a lot of the psalms lean us that way and this one does too. But it's an intimate psalm about God seeing us, knowing who we are. I mean, if you continue and you look at number two, so God sees us, he also knows us. He knows who we are. He knows when we're in that place of being sad or misunderstood. I don't know about you, but that's one of the most frustrating things in life. Like when, you, when you're in a space and you're in a place and you feel where loneliness finds you, even when you're in a family, even when you have friends, even when you have, you're in a room full of people, is that place of somebody not understanding, not empathizing, not, not knowing what you're going through. They have no way of understanding that they misunderstand what's going on. They don't quite know because we're not, I mean, for me, I, I think I, I spent a lot of my time trying to present to the world that I'm okay. I mean, that's, I mean, as a, as a, as a human being, it seems like the thing that we, we resist, which is to say that we're not okay. We, we don't want anybody to pity us, to say, oh, I'm so sorry, you're, you're, going, you're walking through that. Oh, don't pity me. I mean, that, that is something that's innate and, and built in to us in some ways, especially as men. We just push this thing out there like we're okay all the time. We got this. We can spin all the plates. We can do all the stuff. Of course. I, I spent so much of my time, some of you know some of my history of being that person that just didn't understand anybody that went through anxiety and depression. I just was like, man, people need to be, I, I just want people to be right. That was what I used to say to my wife. Like, you know, I'd hear this story about somebody that was dealing with depression and anxiety and they just can't get out of this cycle. They're kind of in this pit and they're just like, man, I just want people to be right. Can they just walk outside and smell the flowers, see what this is? Surf's good, sun's up. I mean, what, what are you upset about? And then I walked through my own three and a half years of the worst season of my life, fear, anxiety, depression, the whole nine yards. And didn't know how to express to anyone, didn't, didn't how alone I felt. To be in that place of going, I am not okay. And everywhere I went, I thought to make everyone else comfortable, I'm gonna look at everybody, I'm gonna smile, and I'm gonna be okay. And we do that really well. But what do we do with the fact that we're not okay? And what I think is amazing, what I think is beautiful is that you've got a God, I've never read Psalm 139 this way, who not only sees you when you feel unseen, that moment at work when you do something and you're like, man, nobody knows that this is happening. My boss doesn't know. Nobody knows that I was responsible for this stuff. God knows. And he sees you. Not only that, he knows you intimately. He knows what you're going through. He knows that you're not okay. In the deepest, darkest pit, he knows what that's like because he's the suffering savior that knows what we've walked through. He's not unacquainted with our sorrows and our grief. He understands what that's like. He he sees us and he knows us. Listen to this. We need to be deeply known, but God says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up in the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, 
you are there. That's what I didn't believe for so long that God had left me, but he goes down into those dark places and he's there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Even when I'm running, even when I've, I don't care about God, even when I'm absolutely abandoning God because I'm frustrated or angry, he's there and he's with me. He sees me. He knows me. His knowing me can't be separated from his being with you. That's all kind of woven together here. To know you is to be with you. He doesn't know you from far away. I love it. This kind of knowledge is too wonderful to comprehend that he can know you that well. And finally, God loves you. This is the idea that we are valued. We have worthiness. All of us were created to feel that worthiness and God values you. You are precious to God. You are valuable outside of your performance. I mean, I think, you know, for, for many people, that's where we attain value. However we look, what group of friends we have, you know, what type of house we have, what cars we have. I mean, we live in a society of, you know, you earn your value. You earn your worthiness. But we see in this passage that God loves you beyond those things. He loves, he loves you even knowing everything about you. I mean, I thought about this. Like, everybody has secrets. And when I say secrets, I'm talking about, like, secrets. Like, everybody in the room, and even the person that you are the closest to, there's still something that you've held back. Every human being. I just read an article about that. Like, the, the, the mind and the brain... There's certain things that happen in the brain that you thought that, that are locked in there that you have not released to any other human being. It is in there. It is in there. Everybody has secrets. But God knows them. God knows every single solid. He knows everything that, that's amazing about you, everything that you've done amazing that nobody knows but he also knows everything that is rotten to the core in our sinful nature that you've done, that you've thought, the things that you might have thought before you walked in here, the, the 10 minutes that you were walking in here. You know, maybe you looked at somebody and thought, and I can't believe she wore those shoes to church. He knows that you thought that. <laughs> he knows it all, everything. And still, he loves you. He sees it, he knows it. And he loves you. I mean, it's the thing that he wants you to know today. He, he's, he's not just me as a parent wanting to breathe that over my children, but he wants you to know that he loves you. That he loves you. Listen to this. Verse 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before you did anything of value, before you performed anything, before you looked a certain way, he knew who you were. 
He loved you. He created you just the way you are. He planned you out. He fashioned you. It had nothing to do with your performance. It had nothing to do with how well you've done here on planet Earth. He loved you long before that. Ephesians would say the same thing, that before anything, before the foundation of the world, he brought you and he selected you. He picked you. You belong. The very thing that we all need. You belong. We all are so desperate. I remember reading an article years ago, CNN article, just about human nature and our desperate need that is wired into us to belong to something bigger than ourselves. And here comes God, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility between you and him and between us, each other. It says he can bind us together by his blood, that we might belong to something bigger than ourselves. He loves us more than we could possibly imagine. He knit us together. How precious are your thoughts. He knows everything about us. How precious are your thoughts about me, God? How vast the sum of them. In the way that he created you, one cell inside your body, he started with one cell, had three billion character, I think you got a four code, you know, DNA code. Three billion characters long inside one cell. Starts that way and then replicates to over a trillion. It's insane. That is insane. If you were to take them all out, you can get back and forth to the moon like 190 times on that string of DNA character code that's very unique to who you are. Fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, I was thinking about, you know, the problem of attunement. And that we all need that. We need that engagement. We need that interaction. God created us that way. And I thought we worship a faceless God. You know, what's, what's, how, how do we become attuned with God? How does God come in and, and fill in the gaps when I can't see him? He's invisible. Like, I don't see God. And I, I, I was thinking, and maybe I'm thick, and maybe you're immediately going, well, I know how. What was God's solution to, to that? How did God upend that, that thought process for me? It's like, I don't know where God, where is God? And I immediately just thought, well, God's invisible. Colossians 1.21 says we were alienated from God. We were separated, right? And then if you continue in Colossians 1, which is one of my favorite passages, it says what? It says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. All of a sudden, there is a face to the God that we so desperately want to be a part of. But then it still isn't solved for us because Jesus walked planet Earth for, you know, this limited amount of time, gave his life away to buy us back, that our sins past, present, and future are annihilated by the cross of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is now the image of the invisible God, but then... Colossians 1.27, it says, To them God has chosen to make among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. So to them, that being you, God has chosen you to be the face to the rest of the world, this glorious mystery. What does the rest of that, that verse say? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
guess who's going to be the attunement, the face of the gospel to the rest of the world? This broken room of people. We're the ones, our kids. I looked up here and I thought about this. You know, this is the next church. These are the next church leaders up here. They're going to be the face. They're going to be the one. How is the world going to know that God sees them? God knows them and God loves them. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In your broken self, through the power of God's spirit, you will be the ones to be the ambassadors of who God is. Not this thing that you, I'm going to put on Facebook, what it means, the apologetic reason for why you should believe in God. No, I'm talking about the compassionate heart that sees people, that knows people, that loves people the way that God would. To become image bearers, like it says in Ephesians 5, that we would become those people, that we would become that church, that we'd become those parents. Because there's a huge gap out there, outside, especially in our culture, in the world that we live in right now. People need to be seen. They need to be known. And they need to be loved. But not just by us. They need to be loved by God, but they can do it through you. That is the miracle of the gospel. That not only are we rescued, not only is our future secure, but God invites us in and says, you carry the ministry of reconciliation. You carry the attunement that the world so desperately needs. Let's stand. God, we love you. We love who you are. God, I pray you continue to lead us in the way everlasting. Lead us as human beings beyond ourselves, beyond our own desires to wake up and realize what's been done for us. To know that you see us, know that you're pursuing us and that you know us and to know that you love us.